for another serving of the Dole Up and Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and since it's back-to-school time for so many of our listeners, I couldn't think of a better movie for this episode. Remember the Titans was a co-production between Disney and Jerry Brockheimer, who gained the company's trust with the success of the 2003 Pirates of the Caribbean. Boaz Yankin directed the true story about a black football coach, Herman Boone, set with the task of integrating the football team at T.C. Williams High School in Alexandria, Virginia in 1971. Uplifting sports films became a huge trend during this time, and as you can imagine, because of this, it's not a documentary. So... They stick to many options of the, the story, but they, they shift a lot of aspects to give you a more cohesive story in their opinion. Several of these included that the team was only integrated team in their conference, which wasn't true. Many of the men said later that they all had long hair and not just sunshine. And Bertier's accident wasn't until after the championship game on December 11th of 1971. But one of the largest omissions is that Cheryl Yost's death was in 1996, and she wasn't one child, but she was one of three sisters. The film had a budget of about $30 million and grossed over $136.7 million worldwide. Among mainstream critics, the film opened to generally positive reviews, and according to Rotten Tomatoes, it received a 73%, and the consensus is, it's an inspirational crowd-pleaser with a healthy dose of social commentary. Remember, the Titans may be predictable, but it's also well-crafted and featured terrific performances. Now, I found it sobering to watch this Hollywood version of a story, and we are still seeing it, played out in our news on a daily basis and hopefully we are finally at a point where the world will start listening i feel it needs to be stated again that we here at dole up and dream stand with black lives matter to stop the needless violence happening to the black and black trans communities in america we'll be right back after this Hello, my name is Hans Martin Jr., your real movie critic. If you enjoy discussing upcoming movie news, looking at new trailers, and reviewing the year's hottest movies, then tune in to... Hey, hey, Hans, Hans! What? Are you doing the promo without me? Uh, yeah, I am. How come? Because everyone knows I'm the better host of this podcast. Oh, it's like that, huh? You think you can review movies better than me. Uh, I don't think I can. I know. Oh, we'll see about that. This is... The Real Movie Critic. Versus... The Cineguy. Mondays only at CertainPOV.com. Or wherever you listen to your podcast. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. You're going down, critic. Bring it on, guy. Welcome back, dreamers. I am so excited for you all to get to know our guest today. He is uh, the host of another one of our amazing certain POV shows. I have Hans, the real movie critic with me today. Hans, welcome to the show. 
How you doing? What up, everybody? Uh, thanks for having me. I am so excited. Uh, right after I joined the network, uh, we immediately were like, "We've got to get it. I've got to get you on the show." And so I'm so happy <laughs> that you are on the show. So why don't you tell the audience a little about about yourself and kind of sure. how Disney has played in your uh, how you've consumed media throughout your life? Oh man, All I know right. that's well, a big a question. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Well, a little bit about myself. Um, so I am a first. First and foremost, in the entertainment world, I am a podcaster. Uh, I am part of the certain POV network. Uh, we, I do. Uh, uh, I am a co-host of the show, The Real Movie Critic versus the Cine Guy, with my co-host Stephen Angulo, who is the Cine Guy, and uh, we talk about the latest um, in films. We talk about the latest news, the latest trailers. And we also review the latest films, and of course, with this whole coronavirus thing which we're still on uh we decided to you know take a little old school approach in some movies too and then if we get lucky it's uh some of the films go on live stream then uh we talk about that as well but man we really missed the movie theater <laughs> i that's for sure i had the same thought i know one of my other friends who i talk to constantly i think she and i talk like every day every other day and she was like i don't know if i'm gonna be able to go back to movie theaters for a while and i was like i am dying to go back to the movie theater because <laughs> yes. there, there are also just some movies that like it's awesome that like we got onward at home so quickly and like scoob mm-hmm. and uh trolls worldwide those like it was great that those got released for kids just because parents i'm sure running out of ideas of how to entertain their kids but i was talking to her that like the jungle cruise movie is supposed to come out in july and i want to see that on the big screen or like the in the heights musical movie was supposed to come out in july it's coming out in july Uh, of 2021 now it's gonna be worth it it's gonna be worth it that but like that's (laughs) just one that i was like i need to see it live on the screen because i saw it on broadway a bunch and it's just one that i want the whole experience of seeing in a movie theater exactly there are movies that are made to watch on the movie theater, all right? I know people like to be comfortable in their own home, you know, if you want to be like that or antisocial or whatever or, you know, just watch movies in your regular clothes or pajamas mm-hmm. or whatever, you know. But the movie theater experience, I love it. I always loved it. Um, especially now, you know, the movie theaters are a little more comfortable now. <gasps> oh, with, yeah. With, yeah, with recliner seats, that great surround sound, um, you know, that special projections and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's still fun. It's a lot of fun for sure. Also, also, I'm a big guy, and so it's nice that like <laughs> I I I grew up in a town with a lot of like we had a second row movie theater, and then my in my undergrad town we had a second row movie theater, and those seats were like big enough for a kid. So I'm pouring my <laughs> big self in those, and so and while I don't need a recliner to enjoy a movie, a little bit of a wider seat, a little more a little more comfort, but like it also sounds crazy. I miss the bad popcorn, like. <laughs> it, it's it's just the experience of going to movies. So so why yeah, don't you talk sure. to us a, a little bit about Disney and how that has uh, affected your life and movies and those kinds of things? Oh man, I mean Disney's definitely a big part of my life. That mm-hmm. that that's for sure. I think since the beginning of my life, since I can remember, I, I, I've probably been watching Disney movies. I mean, from the top of my head. Um, I, I do remember watching Bambi a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, that was <gasps> one of the movies. Nice. <laughs> and also, I do remember Mary Poppins. I'm not sure if the sound of music was Disney or not, but <laughs> I know Julie Andrews was mm-hmm. in it. So. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, I guess it's Disney now because it was part of the Fox buyout, so it's on Disney+. Plus. Uh, I see. So. <laughs> okay. All right, fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, I'll tell you one thing, and uh, maybe this might be a unique experience, uh, for at least for myself, um, one of the things that really got me um, 
into Disney stuff is I don't know if you remember this, but the I used to have these tapes of the Disney sing along. Oh yes. Oh <laughs> yes, I love those Disney yes. sing along tapes. Oh man. That's what really got me to really expand my horizon on all these Disney products for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with all these different songs. And what I love about it, it's from different movies. Oh yeah. Uh tape. It, it was tapes back in my day. Mm-hmm. Mine too, and, mine too. Yes, and oh man, and that's you know with 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 all the different songs and things, and that's what really got me into the uh, really liking Disney. And at the time, I was living in the LA area, and uh, so Disneyland was also a big thing uh, since mm-hmm. I was a kid too. Mm-hmm. But my first movie theater experience were also Disney films because for some I, I, for some odd reason, in the early nineties. There was um, there were re uh, re um, re showing a lot of the classic Disney movies. Yep, and I do remember uh, seeing the Jungle Book, and also One Hundred One Dalmatians as my mm-hmm. first movie theater experience, which mm-hmm. was great. And I mean, history was made after that because I love film. I love all kinds of films, but you know, Disney is definitely something special in my life. For sure, and uh, man, it's just I'm passionate about it, you know. That, and I'm just glad Marvel is part of Disney too, because that's my also biggest passion. Me as well, too, so. me too. <laughs> and honestly, I think you know what? It's one of those that like everybody still is like, "Oh, I'm mad Disney owns Marvel," and I was like, "Listen, <laughs> we've gotten we've gotten some kind of clunkers, but like even the not good Marvel movies have still been enjoyable." And like exactly. been watchable and they're better than some of the other like Sony and Fox Marvel properties that we've gotten <laughs> that who are just trying to struggle to like construct a world because um, yeah. it's one of those things. Disney's going to put money behind it at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, for better, for worse, for what a lot of people feel about Star Wars as well. I'm actually now that, I, you know, now that Galaxy's <laughs> Edge is opened at uh, Disney World and Disneyland, uh, I am so ha- I'm so happy they own Star Wars. And that is why yes. I'm the saddest that yes. the parks have been closed, because like I could just hang oh, out in man. Batu. I could hang out in Batu for Ever, it's so mm-hmm. good, and I'm I'm really excited for the um, the Marvel campus to open at Disneyland. I won't be able to oh, go for yes. a while, but I'm just like yes. just alone. The the Spider Man audio animatronic that's able to fling himself from building to building is yes. gonna be so cool. It's yes. you know it's one of those things that Disney through all their faults goes big or they just don't go at all, and sometimes they decide not to go at all. But like I agree with you, I'm these these are all of these things that I'm so happy they do and the movie we're talking about today um is another one of those it feels very disney in the way that it's like a film about heart it's a film about yes um community and things and it kind of seems to be so on brand for me uh of like what disney does well um and it's oddly it's the the sports film. And so uh, yes. I, if for some reason, I don't know if you sped through my history portion because you don't want to hear me talk about history that long. <laughs> uh, but we're doing Remember the Titans today, which yes. I remember coming out. And I remember being a much bigger deal than apparently it actually was. Um, but like this was this is one of those sports movies where like they get it right and um they they do things so Hans. Why didn't you tell me why we were going over some different ones and you threw this title out and I went, huh? 
let's let's appeal to a different audience than I've appealed to for the other ones. And so I was I was begrudgingly doing this one, but then this has happened on the last couple that I've done. I was I was a little grumbly that I, I was doing it, and then I watch it and I go, I am so happy we're talking about this movie. I enjoy this movie way more than I I remember enjoying it. So w- tell me for first, sure. why did you pick Remember the Titans? Oh man, I mean I love this movie. Uh, it. You know, me, you know, I, I, another passion of mine is sports, which is why I, I am a physical education teacher. Um, and and I, I just love it. I love coaching. I love anything, every aspect of sports and stuff like that, especially being from a big sports town like Boston. That's where I'm really mm-hmm. from. And I, and I am a sucker for sports movies. I know people complain about it, saying it's too formulaic or too cliche mm-hmm. and stuff. But I love it, no matter what angle it is. The underdog, which I really love, the underdog factor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, going for that that one player that's the character is developed very well. You just want to go for that person mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But you know, uh, when people talk to me, what is my favorite sports movies? Number one is Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. Not because of the sports aspect, which is pretty good, mm-hmm. I might say, but also the other biggest thing about this film was about the race relations uh, in the early 70s, mm-hmm. and especially mm-hmm. during the time when they were integrating schools, uh, you know, pretty much the white schools and the black schools. Mm-hmm. They're going to put it together, and the controversy that, that happened and why sometimes sports can play a big thing in our life because mm-hmm. sometimes sports can bring people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and and with that movie, that's pretty much what what happened. Yeah. And I love I love Denzel Washington. I think he's one of the greatest actors out there. I agree. And I can watch him do almost anything because, <laughs> like, even not great movies he's been in, like he still always gives like such an incredible performance. And I think across the board in this movie, everyone gives a wonderful performance. Like there's yeah, just great performances across the board. It's a great cast too. Mm-hmm. I mean. When I rewatched it after a little time, I was surprised some of the people I recognized uh, yeah. during that time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Gosling was the bi- my biggest surprise. Yeah, and he's in, in a there. and he's <laughs> in a rather small role. But I realized, like, yeah. prior to this, he'd done like Who's Afraid of the Dark, and he'd done Mickey Mouse Club, and so it wasn't mm-hmm. actually out of the realm that he did this as a Disney movie, which is actually. Yeah co-produced by Disney. So it was Jerry mm. Brockheimer Pictures and Walt mm. Disney Studios doing this together and then released their Buena Vista. Um, and so, you know, it's another one of those where you don't really know. And of course, nobody really talks about how much control Disney had, how much hair. Uh, uh, but like Jerry Brockheimer has made like starting with, I would argue like starting with this movie, Jerry Brockheimer made some of the largest live action titles for them that they had. Cause mm-hmm. he did that. He did national treasure and he did pirates mm-hmm. of the Caribbean, which is yes. huge. And what you will say now about the pirates, you know, maybe the pirates franchise is going <laughs> on too long. We're getting another pirates movie soon. And it is what it is. But those first two, three movies, that first trilogy was so good and it really mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm live action movies um i think he also did like invincible he did miracle yes yeah so he did a lot of those like really well done well uh well sold sports movies of the the aughts as well um Mm -hmm. and now just when someone says jerry brockheimer and disney i go oh it's a it is a match made in heaven to me like it is again because they could have made this a sports movie but again it's not Football is just one component of this. 
exactly. um, story, which I really want us to dig into. Um, and for a lot of people who don't know, who are from different areas, I'm actually from about 45 minutes south of Alexandria. It's where I am right mm-hmm. now recording. Um, yep. It's where I'm spending my summer. And <laughs> so, you know, it's my my parents are this age of teenagers during yeah. this time. And so my mom specifically remembers her school of like 40 kids integrating in the mid sixties. And so what a lot of people out there don't realize, cause we have a lot of listeners in New York, a lot of listeners in California, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the Southern States integrated, but it took them almost t- cause I believe integration happened in 62 or 65. Yeah. Um, definitely early sixties. And, sure. but schools were not forced to, I know I just went, I just graduated from university of Florida. They didn't fully integrate. They didn't have their first class with black students until the seventies, like 75. Wow. They, they yeah. yeah, they went from all male to co-ed before they went to integrated. And so this is, um, this is also the time where Disney did the Ruby Bridges story for Wonderful World of Disney, and mm-hmm. they did the Color of Friendship on Disney Channel. Um, I know okay. they used to show Color of Friendship re- uh, reruns with this after it. They do like a whole afternoon um, because Disney has a really shitty past with being really fucking racist, <laughs> like many companies did at yes. the time. And I've talked yes. about it as nauseum on other podcasts and uh, other episodes of this, so we'll, we'll kind of move on from that. But at the center, this isn't a football movie. This is a movie about the people of Virginia and kind of the sociopolitical atmosphere that the world was surrounding itself with. Because we're also seeing aspects with Sunshine of the hippie, free love, and anti-Vietnam movement, where they really, they don't politicize that as much. But, like, it's one of those things where the school is being integrated, which for a lot of students, and they talk about this in the movie so we can get into it, um, of especially for a lot of poor white kids and almost all African-American boys specifically, one of the only ways of getting into a really good college was through sports. And so, and it wasn't that the boys weren't um, academically smart. They weren't wonderful students. It's just because there was still, this was before affirmative action. This was before Mm -hmm. universities had to look at people by merit, not by skin. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when they had to, it started admitting African-American students. So I think this movie is really great. And what are some, so as we launch in, Plot-wise, what are some things that really work for you in the way that they crafted this story? I mean, I think the biggest scene was a training camp scene. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just with the coach, uh, Herman Boone, you know, he mm-hmm. he knew there was a lot, a lot of walls he needed to climb over mm-hmm. to really make this a successful program. Mm-hmm. P- and people didn't think he was going to be successful at all. They yeah. thought he was going to quit right after training camp, mm-hmm. you know. They, they, they didn't think that he was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the reason he got the job, as the movie explains, is because they they just did the political approach of putting mm-hmm. a, a black coach, uh, mm-hmm. replacing a, another legendary coach, which is a big controversy in itself. I could only imagine at that time. Yeah. Um, to, uh, to put him on just to say, hey, we did it. Yeah, it didn't work, but we did it. Well, you know? and that's the whole thing. The movie goes into this whole idea. They're like, oh, we're giving you one game and then we're going to fire you. And like, that's a, exactly that's again, this is one of those things where I feel there are a couple moments in the movie that feel, I don't want to say ham fisted, but they're a little heavy handed in the, 
the dialogue of we know we know that Julius and we know that Jerry uh, are are two. There are yin and our yang that we're following throughout this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And so, of course, we're going to see them. There's some conflict in some of those early scenes of they were like, you don't have to respect me and blah, 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 and all these things. And it was like, mm-hmm. the, but those are those scenes when you've got this kind of story that you're telling. And honestly, I'm sure that because this is based on a true story and there's no one that stepped forward and was like, oh, this was over-dramatized. This was not how things happened. Um, mm-hmm. Everything is over-dramatized. If, if people yeah. think things aren't over-dramatized because <laughs> this is not a documentary, this is a this is not a docudrama. Yeah, it's Hollywood. This is a true inspired by true stories. So there's going to be, you know, I'm sure Boone didn't wane and monologue the way that they had Denzel. But like when you got Denzel, <laughs> why aren't you kind of let him monologue? Like those exactly. are so um, there. Those things where like the movie was fine, and then they did the scene with the run to the cemetery Gettysburg. in Gettysburg. Yes. Yes, and that was great. it is, it's one of the most powerful, wonderful moments. And again, they do a really nice job of, because let's be honest, this kind of movie, it's made for, it's, I don't, this is a hard way to say things. Movies like mm-hmm. this are made to start having white viewers specifically start breaking down the idea of the systemic issue that racism is and also Mm -hmm. breaking down like racism, which is different than bias, which is different than prejudice. And Mm -hmm. so though, you know, they were those moments of you, they, they don't give all of the shitty white people redemption arcs, which I really like. Yes. Um, Yes. And you while you might sympathize with them so but i think it's one of those where they dance the line because a lot of other movies that are like this that have centered around african-american actors and stories there's still this idea of the white savior complex and while there Mm -hmm. is a little bit of this in there because they really have it set up where the assistant coach help save the day, but it's one of those. It's no. like, they're also the yin and yang. Um, yeah. you know, you know, it's Boone also learning that like he needs to rely on other people. And, exactly. um, and I think they, it, sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, it's a learning experience for everybody. Yes. Yeah. You know, everybody. And even for the community as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and, and that's what I find this movie great is because they really inspired uh, a community that probably had a history of racism a lot, you know. Um, oh yeah, and I, I lived. I when I went to college, I lived in the DMV area. Uh, for those mm-hmm. who don't know, that means DC, Maryland, and Virginia yep. area. And, and of course, I was more in the Maryland area, but mm-hmm. I did have some family friends that lived in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Actually, I had some friends. I actually went to TC Williams. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, wow! Yes, and I actually went to that campus <laughs> as well, picking up my friend and. Yeah, and I was like, hold on, is this where they filmed uh, Remember the Titans? They're like, well, they didn't film here, but this is where it got yeah. inspired. I was like, oh, cool, this is awesome. Yeah. You know, and and of course, I, you know, we, we don't see it at the, uh, during that time. That was like early 2000s for me, mm-hmm. but, but um, at that time, you know, where racism was very prevalent, especially in the South, you know, people just don't understand a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, about each other. And that's what I loved about the training camp scene where the coach make them get to know each other. Mm-hmm. 
He yeah. didn't believe in segregating. He believed in putting them together as a team. And, yeah. you know, as a coach, we always, I always preach about team, not about one person. You know, we don't have a Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's all about a team, not mm-hmm. one person. And, yeah, you, you talk about the white savior and, and stuff like that. Sometimes what, we, what people do need to address an issue is for uh, white people to understand that's mm-hmm. what they, that's what needs to happen, and it yeah. goes both sides too, because I do believe the African American community needs to understand as well. You know, me being a Latino, um, especially in these times where we do feel a little oppressed mm-hmm. nowadays, we ju- the main thing is that people need to understand us and where we're coming from, and that's what's lacking. Right. All right, and that's what it needs more is education. That's the biggest thing. Well, and I think it's because the system, which is where, you know, the root of that idea that this racism is systemic. Also, the way that Mm -hmm. like homophobia is systemic, transphobia is systemic. Mm -hmm. It's because the system has was leading, especially in this time. I was so interesting that like I was watching this movie and on Facebook, someone shared real like 150 real photos of what Harlem looked like in 1970, 71 and 72. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things that, like, the system was telling white people that black people and Latinx people were their enemy. But it was also telling black people that Latinx people were their enemy and telling Latinx people that, like, black people were their enemy. And so it's this idea that, like, this patriarchal system um, has – and then telling men that women are the, the enemy. And the system had crafted itself in a way so cleverly that, like – bred distrust between also like out post-World War II. It bred that everyone have a distrust of Asian Americans. And it's this idea of this, all of these things that like the fetishization thing was happening because everybody wanted to watch that like Kung Fu film or black exploitation film, but they still weren't, or they loved the whiz. You know, they were willing to go see black people sing and dance or, you know, watch, um, you know, watch uh, Latinx people blow each other up in a in a drug based gangster film, um, <laughs> or they you know they all love La Bamba, but they don't want to sit there and be respectful when they go somewhere that has like a Latinx busboy. It's one of those things that it's just yeah. it's so everyone has been told that everyone is their enemy, and so we're still we're all trying to schluff off generations of the lies that have been told to us. And again, it's like I'm watching this film and going, it's 20 years later, which is why I'm really happy you wanted to do this, because it's been 20 years since this film came out. We are still having the exact same conversations they were having in that movie. Now, while it was dramatized of 1971, this is 50, what is this, uh, 50 years after 1971, 49 years. And again, the dialogue that was still being used in the 60s and 70s is still being used today. And so for some reason, you know, it's I was driving home today and I saw a giant Confederate flag being flown from a back uh, of a pickup truck. And there are just these like I someone that I work with used the N word yesterday, like casually oh, really? in conversation. Yes. And it's just wow. something that happens here still. And it's like this area while, you know, it's gotten a little more blue. It's been blue in the last couple elections, but just because it's blue doesn't make it not racist. Like I know mm-hmm. liberals that are just as racist as any conservative that I know. And like, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of those things that this movie is so important because it was having 
Again, it is sparking a conversation about community because we are a community and it's... We, yeah, we got to. We, we, we need to. That's what we need to be for this world to flourish mm-hmm. is community, you know? I know me being from Boston, too, where Boston historically has been a racist town as well. Oh, yeah. It had made some great strides mm-hmm. to really try. But it, I remember when I moved from L.A. to Boston uh, when Ooh. I was a young kid. Ooh. I, I, yeah. That's I, a big change. Hey, hey, I've been around. I've been around a lot of places, man. I, I tell you, right now I live in the Bay Area. So and and so. But, yeah, I remember how separate um, it was uh, between cities uh, mm-hmm. of, of race. You know, one part is the black community. The other part mm-hmm. is a predominantly white community. Mm-hmm. The other part is um, what you, uh, a Latino community and an Asian community, you know. Mm-hmm. But now you're starting to see the, these type of things integrate. Unfortunately, gentrification happens a lot, too. Ugh, and, yep. uh, yeah, and, and things. But, I, you know, what I do see after when these things happen is that not only the community uh, comes together a little bit, you know, but sometimes when it comes to. Uh, you know, our, our own wealth and stuff like that, that could make a big difference. That's, I, I see that as a bigger difference now than race sometimes. Yeah. And, and, and things. But you do see people being more tolerable with each other. That, mm-hmm. That's one thing you do see. But, of course, yeah, you lived in a part of Florida that where you, you hear a lot of the stories where the Florida man, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I, I lived in Miami and Orlando as well. Mm-hmm. And I know Orlando's right at the cusp. <laughs> yes, yes. Orlando is about as south as central, like it's because it, you still have just above it is like Ocala's a half an hour away and Ocala is the most backwards place I've ever been. But it's so, yes. it's one of those things that Orlando is when you start getting so much beautiful like Latinx flavor and so much Jewish and yes. Italian flavor and then yes. it gets way more like New York the further south you go and then you've got like <laughs> Miami is so rich in uh, like it's Cuban diversity I love Miami. and it's Miami literally has a flavor that you do not understand until you go to Miami and like yes, yes. I I hate when uh, white people are like let's go to Miami it's going to be fun and I was like I need you to not be problematic when you go to Miami, please, because it is a beautiful <laughs> place and it is plagued by crime and there's a lot of things. But again, it's it's issues that were set up systematically for those, you know, those Cuban-Americans and the Puerto Rican-Americans who moved there. They were set up to fail from the beginning. And so it's it's not a surprise but, that a lot of the things that have happened happened. Yeah. But even in the Latino culture, you do see divides as well. Because oh, yeah. We- I think what's beautiful about uh, the Latino culture is you have all these different type of skin colors and mm-hmm. they're all Latino. Mm-hmm. I know with me, I, I know when people first look at me, they think I'm a white guy or an yeah. Italian guy or something like yeah. that. But then when they realize I speak Spanish and actually <laughs> uh, I, am, I am a Latino, I'm half Guatemalan, half yeah. Argentinian. And they were like, what? You don't look Latino. And I was like, so how are we supposed to look? You know, and, and, and that's I do that as an education yep. opportunity. That's how I approach with a lot of these things. But I see in myself in the Latino culture that they even divide themselves, you know, between, mm-hmm. you know, the natives, the, the Afro-Latinos mm-hmm. and then the, the white Latinos as well. And so us ourselves need to fix ourselves, too, before mm-hmm. we could go to the grand spectrum yeah. uh, of what it is. Yeah. And it, it all comes with understanding. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. So. And so something else that this movie does is because it's obviously – 
about race relations and race is at its mm-hmm. key. Um, and we see, I love that we get those kind of two heroes in both Julius and, and Jury. And, yes. And yes. they're both great characters. They're great. Um, they're, ju- it's, they're, they're wonderful. Both of those actors are phenomenal. You're rooting for them. And it's, it's not in a heavy handed way because it also like Jerry goes through a, a journey. Like we see him, we see every step of his journey where he's physically yeah. having to correct himself and make other choices, including like letting his girlfriend go, letting his best friend go mm-hmm. and these things. And it's not literally because he's like, Oh, I need to not be racist. It's because he's like, this isn't right. What we have been doing is not right. Um, mm. And so that's that's really nice. And what's also interesting is we also have a conversation of class as well as a c- conversation of uh, it's not quite homophobia, but like the idea mm-hmm. of toxic masculinity because yeah. we get sunshine, which as yes. I look, which <laughs> as I look back now and because the first time I watched this, much like a lot of kids uh, our age, I uh, was in high school when this came out, when it was out on VHS and DVD, we watched it probably two or three times on a marching band bus going to and from competitions or, mm-hmm. or shows. Cause this is just a movie, you know, you can put on, it's about football, whatever. And I went, Oh I like him. <laughs> it uh, of course. Of, it would be one of, of those course. that I went, oh, oh, I am very different. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, no, of mm-hmm. course, you know, talking about moments that were ta- discussed that was dramatized, the uh, the real real jury in real life said that, um, or the real, the real sunshine said the kiss never happened, obviously, because yeah. that's a great cinematic movie moment. And it's mm-hmm. the epitome of like the year 2000, because uh, Will and Grace <laughs> had been on TV. Queer as Folk had been on TV. Um, uh, Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was on TV. So we were at a we were in mm-hmm. a queer emergence at that point. So it made sense for that moment to happen in the way of like you're you want to create that drama and that tension. Um, yeah. And but like this idea of also that we also talk about class from uh, the oh, I keep forgetting his name. The the larger guy who comes in from New Jersey. Oh, who, yes. Yes. Who describes uh, himself. Eve, yes. Louis. Uh, Louis. Played by Louis. Ethan Supley. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And just describes himself as white trash and he's dumb and he only plays football because mm-hmm. he has nothing else to do. And he's never mm-hmm. going to go to college because he's trash and his family is like what they call trash. And it's so interesting because we joke you know we especially when i lived in new york for a long time everybody jokes about new jersey new jersey i'd say no make jokes about new jersey but it is this thing Mm -hmm. that's interesting that he being of a poor lower class and being heavy set it's really interesting that one you need to have in film you have to have that dynamic character that I don't want to use the phrase colorblind because I think that's ignorant, but like he had no issue, which, you know, also with it being New Jersey in the North, they integrated a little bit sooner than everybody else. So the chances he'd probably gone most of his years through school with people of all racial backgrounds. He probably went to fully integrated schools. I mean, and so, so for him, um, coming in because Bayonne is not far from New York City. It's not far from Long Island. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure someone up there is rolling their eyes at me and correcting me, but I had kids that I went to <laughs> school with from Bayonne. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things that it's 
Now it's like the Jersey Shore kind of folks are, you know, a lot from that area. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that those were the other conversations that whether we'd have them and like they, you know, Sunshine had to get his hair cut. But it was also like he was called a hippie. He dressed Mm -hmm. more because they came from California. Um, It was an easy design decision. But like they didn't fully go into this idea of the Vietnam War happening because these boys would have been too young to draft and the Vietnam War was starting to wind down. But this idea that like sunshine comes from this idea where like counterculture is thriving and we're going towards the summer of love. It happened in 69 and we're moving towards like Stonewall 10 years later. So the seventies are a time of civil unrest and other, the other kind of people like are are getting their day. And so he represents an interesting kind of group of people who are silenced. Now, of course, much like any time, anybody that could be conce- perceived as other or like softly masculine were like beautiful blonde men. But um, I think it's <laughs> something that they quietly have this conversation because Louis also has those two little freakouts. And it's one of those things yeah. that like he's, the character is so lovely and so likable. And I like when they don't make the fat guy as the the eternal fat guy. They don't make the fat guy the brunt of the joke. No, uh, uh-huh. no. While he is funny and he is the the tension reliever in scenes, he was he, a likable guy. For sure. He's so likable, yeah, yeah, and he, he was. was guy. But he was also fully fleshed out, and I think yes. it was really interesting for people to also think about that time of that he had no prospects of continuing after high school and had no idea what he was going to do. And so I think it's interesting that they were also kind of having that conversation within um, this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. It, 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 I find it funny, too, because the actor, Ethan Supley, his past characters have always been like uh, a Nazi or yeah. a white supremacist or something mm-hmm. or some type of weird guy and stuff. And I think with this role, it's definitely a breath of fresh air for him. Oh, you know? I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. And right from the beginning, you like this guy because he just rushes in with a room full of black people saying, yeah, I'm ready for some football. And, you know, you see the other side of black people like, what is this guy doing here? You know, and yet he just doesn't care. Well, you know, he's like, I don't care who you are. I'm just going to be just like y'all, you know, and maybe not like y'all. That's probably the bad way of saying it. But I'm just like, I'm just I'm, we're going to be like a team. Yeah, you, I'm going to like the music you like, too, you know, I, I, and stuff like that. And that's what I liked about him a lot, you know. Well, also in a lot of areas, especially if they were poorer, if if he was if his family was also in a low income area, especially in New York and New Jersey and Pennsylvania, it was mm-hmm. disproportionately people of color were the population of those poorer areas. And that's why white, the poor white people. So like a middle-class area for, for Latinx people, uh, people of color, um, black people would have been where like the poor white people lived. And so he also probably could have been the actual minority in his high school. Um, I didn't look up, um, I'll be sure for when we haven't researched the pre-show yet. We typically record <laughs> our interview portions before we re- re- do our pre-show, but I'll actually look up the demographic of Bayonne during that time because again, there, there are so many things that explain that like, I love, I love just the, the, 
juxtaposition between him jamming out with the 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 like duop and Motown yep, yep. to awesome. Ryan to Ryan Gosling's character who yes. he doesn't have very many lines and I kind of love that that like <laughs> now now he would have been he would have been the 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 quarterback he would have been the captain um, maybe maybe yeah um, which you know I don't think he's a particularly good actor nobody kill me but like uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but like you know it's one of those things that just have him jamming out to like the white American folk music is just it's yes, so funny yes. in in the the way those two characters interact but I think it's another thing where they did it enough where it doesn't feel like you're being hit over the head with it or that they're trying to make an after school special of it. But I definitely could see people having a conversation about it after that. Yes. No, no, yeah, for sure. And kind of from, for me, that last thing that they also did was they started addressing this idea with, um, Hayden Panettiere's character who played uh, the daughter of the assistant coach. <laughs> she was awesome. She's a great character. She won a lot of awards for this role. Um, I believe yes. this was her breakout role. But this idea that like little girls don't have to like princesses and play dress up and mm-hmm. have their nails painted and also because a lot of black youth also don't get per- portrayed as like caring about appearance and like wanting to like be a normal kid and all these things. So like the, the, the juxtaposition between the two daughters and like where Mm -hmm. they kind of find that moment of like bonding, but also that it's okay that like Hayden's character doesn't need, she doesn't need to, she can like football and it's okay for a girl to like football and want to play like these things that I also, that was really cool, especially because the movie is told through her lens. She's our narrator. It's very much a scout in To Kill a Mockingbird in many mm-hmm. ways of mm-hmm. this this idea that she also doesn't dramatize or like hero worship her father in a way that's unhealthy. It's um, it uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's they avoided making these people tropes and made them very real, which I ultimately really appreciate. Oh yeah. No, every character in this movie is very, very grounded. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I really uh, enjoy about this film. It's relatable to a lot of people. I I, I do believe if anybody who watches this movie can relate to one character, that's for sure. Oh yeah. Uh, There, you can see yourself in any of the the characters, which I think is interesting because all of the characters have really interesting flaws and really interesting, um, uh, uh, really interesting, uh, great, uh, uh, I can't even talk today, great character aspects. They have really wonderful character traits and character flaws, um, Mm -hmm. And which makes them all so likable and you get Mm -hmm. so gutted when things happen. Cause like, I forgot that Jerry gets hit by the car and loses oh, and gets man. spoiler alert. The movie's been out 20 years. I don't care. <laughs> um, I forgot that he gets hit by the car and gets um, paralyzed. And yes. that, like, that's just something I totally forgot. And I forgot that Donald Faison was in this movie completely. Yes. Um, yes. like pre scrubs, but like he had already been in clueless. Like he's actually was one of the biggest names in this movie. I would argue cause he had done a bunch of things. And then right after this, he did the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Actually same year. He did the Josie and the Pussycats movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, it's one of those things that like, arguably he's one of the larger names in this movie, which I think is funny. Um, but really alone Denzel Washington selling this movie is just, it's from top to bottom. It's just done so beautifully. And I hope mm. 
I don't know why they would, but I hope Disney never tries to like remake this movie. <laughs> I, I don't see why it's not animated, so they can't do the live action version. Ha, I, guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. They're uh, Disney. Uh, Pete's. All I'm going to say is Pete's Dragon. They they already re- remade Pete's Dragon, and it was awful. Oh, that's, and the, that's true. The original true. is so good. Uh, but we're, we're, I could scream for hours about that. But I'll, I'll scream yeah. about that when we eventually do that movie. I being, mean, I, I think. I ho- I Sorry, hope not. Uh, no, it's all right. No, I'm just saying I hope not to, but they could get other type of, uh, uh, you know, maybe another sports movie that could involve yeah. the same topic. Oh, you know, yeah. Try to remake it. Uh, instead of doing that, you know, remaking the same story, they should find somewhere else. Maybe something that happened more recently, you know. Yeah. That's what they need to do. <laughs> yeah, do well, more research. I could, I could <laughs> almost see them in like... Um, I could see them in like 2030 doing the Colin Kaepernick story. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could, and can. like, they're the ones who would do it. And I feel, yeah, like, I just, but I agree with you. Like, I just, one, I don't think they'd retouch this one. But it's interesting that, like, it, it didn't do particularly well critically because it's got like a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes, which That's- I think is really unfair. Like, it's pretty. It's still a pretty good rating, but yeah, I think it should be ranked higher. But if you look at the fans, it's like ninety percent. So. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, and it did pretty well money wise. It made one hundred and thirty six million worldwide with a thirty million dollar budget. Um, this is a very polarizingly American story, so I don't. I think other than Denzel Washington, I don't actually think this movie probably sold well internationally, just because. Mm-hmm. While Americana and football, you know, football is something that's so specifically American. It is just, um, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, there are people that are obsessed with this idea of America the way that we are. You know, a lot of people are, um, uh, you know, uh, oh, um. What are you trying to say? Oh, how, you know, people are obsessed with, ang- we have Anglophiles, like, you know, like oh, I saw people I that are obsessed with Britain yeah. or people, you know, we have otakus yeah. and weeaboos who love, uh, they think they love Japan and they love that concept. <laughs> I'm, there are people internationally who love America in that weird way that they all think of like what America is. Um, yeah. But, yeah. and so, but yeah, and especially in 2000, which just pre 9-11, but it was, uh, it was available for the um well so yeah it only did 20 million worldwide just under 20 million worldwide Um, it's not surprising to me that's not surprising i think that was a film really made for us you know i I do believe that because it it made 115 million in the u.s and then 136 worldwide which i think that 136 includes the u.s numbers as well um i think so because that's that's what they rank up as the total so yeah that means it made like just over $20 million worldwide. So I, yeah, I can't, and this is also before we had like a trade agreement with China and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's got a 73 with 134 critics, um, and a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb, uh, critically, which I don't, but cinema score reported the audiences gave it a very rare a plus because the audiences I find a lot of the times are much harder on movies than critics are because fans many times have an unrealistic expectation. I, I guess it depends on the subject and things of that nature. And I think the only reason why critics 
would not like this film because, as I said before, it is a very formulaic sports movie. It is. It, it is. It's a very formulaic Disney movie, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and things. And, you know, for s- critics, they don't like that. You know, me mm-hmm. being a critic myself, I get that because when you're trying to – one thing you want to look for is how did this movie makes it unique. And if you're yeah. looking for uniqueness, definitely not remember the Titans. But if you're looking for emotion and impact – Remember the Titans. That's what you think of. Yeah. You know. Um, Roger Ebert, I think, uh, put it really well for the Chicago Mm Sun-Times. And he said it's a parable about racial harmony yoked Mm -hmm. to the formula of a sports movie, like you said. Exactly. Um, And then he added that victories over racism and victories over opposing teams alternate so quickly that sometimes we're not sure if we're cheering for tolerance or touchdowns. Mm. Uh, Real life is never the simple but then that's why we go to the movies. Exactly. Oh, I love Roger Ebert. I do, so. I do too. And <laughs> he, I will say, Siskel and Ebert both were always painfully overcritical of Disney because nobody else was. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think it's because a lot of times they never, they never fully embraced what Disney does, like with animated films and things. But I, I agree with you that this is a very formulaic movie. And like I said earlier, there are moments that feel so heavily doctored and written in a writer's room, um, especially mm. early on between Julius and Jerry. I think there's just uh, it, it feels so written. Um, mm. it, it feels more falsely written than that RuPaul series on, <laughs> on Netflix, AJ and the Queen. Um <laughs> That's for the girls and the gays out there. Uh, but like, but ultimately, it's one of those, like, no, this movie isn't going to solve world hunger. It's not going to solve racism, and that's not what it's trying to do. But no. it can encourage a conversation because to win, to, to win that fight for a lot of people and have them finally change, it is a slow road. And it's not always right, but it is a slow road that we are mm-hmm. still apparently on. Um mm-hmm. Okay, being a critic and kind of you you talk about movies a lot and you consume a lot of media. Are there any moments in this movie while good? Is there anything are there moments in this that just do not work for you or you you would have liked to see them rework? You know, I wish they really um, put more into the character of Sunshine a little bit. Yeah, me too. Yeah, because one thing for me is when I first watched the movie, you know, I kept debating, okay, is this guy gay or not? Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of like the whole setup of that, you know, because now you see both the white people and the black people going against him saying, is this guy gay or what? Yeah. You know, even asking him, he's like, does it really matter? You know, but then after that, that was it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> they didn't really expound on him other than him be uh, coming back as a football player and being a great football player. Uh, and that's about it. I think that was a, a missed opportunity. I, I think I would just chalk it up to the time of it's one thing to call white people racist, but it's different to have gay people in a movie where kids would be watching. Um, yeah. Cause this is just, this is in the years after the Southern Baptist conventions, boycotting, boycotting of Disney because of gay days at Disney world and Disneyland and um, movies like Hunchback and Hercules and Pocahontas. Um, and so uh, I could see why they want to leave that up. Also, it's just because then that would either out or not out the actual guy, which I don't believe he's actually gay. No, you know, he's I, not. Um, he's not. And, so, and you know, a, a lot of those guys that were like sunshine during that time are actually a lot of the, uh, um, 
there are a lot of the really like conservative white male leaders that we have now. So like <laughs> it's, you know, it's one of those things that again, it also wasn't important. I do actually like during that time we were starved for representation, but you know, it's one of those things of would it have added anything necessarily the movie to have to answer that question? Um, mm. Cause then would we have been focused on something else? And just the idea that like, it didn't matter if he was or wasn't that we, we're so, we are so stuck in a binary of what's male and what's female and what's acceptable and what's unacceptable that like he was outside of that. But like the women found him so attractive and the men were yeah. so, I would say they were jealous of him. They felt threatened by him because he was so, so breathtakingly good looking and like, um, but was also an amazing athlete. Like he danced that line in a way that nobody wanted to at the time. And so I'm not sure. And he was patient. He was like, all right. At first he was not the starting QB. He just had to wait for his turn until that, uh, the, their starter QB got injured. And that's when he came in mm-hmm. and, and yeah, no, I thought his character was very fascinating. Uh, I just felt like, you know, I just wanted to learn more about his character. I agree. And, and yeah, you know, I never felt that way for another movie uh, until Green Book came out about um, with, um, mm-hmm. man, I forgot the name of that character, mm-hmm. but uh, played by, um, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? <laughs> um, the actor that won the, the Oscar for, for that role in Green Book. Um, he was going to play Blade later. Oh, man, I'm about to look it up. <laughs> oh, Wesley Snipes? No, no, no not Wesley oh. Snipes. Uh, um, he was also in uh, Moonlight. Um, oh, oh Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. There we mm-hmm, go. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and his character mm-hmm. in the movie Green Book, where they kind of showed that he was... Uh, he was actually a, a, a gay person, mm-hmm. but yet they didn't really expound on that story. Right. You know? And, and so I kind of felt that way, too, with Remember the Titans and things. I, I know when I rewatched it before we started recording, I just realized that Sunshine did that to just prove a point that, yes, hey, I'm different, and I don't care what you think of me, mm-hmm. you know? But I'm here to play football just like you guys. And, well, and, and that was the main point of it. That, that's what I got from it, at least. Well, yeah, because there is this uh, insti- this this patriarchal idea of masculinity and what men are supposed to be like. And because he was exactly. – that's what tripped all of the guys up is he was just so different than they were. Um, but it is also – he's always present and he's always the front of shots. But he probably only had about 12 lines in the final cut of the movie, 13 exactly. lines. But he's in every scene. But – there is that great scene that I think was really important. And for me, one of the most impactful of the movie, um, because it felt the most dangerous, um, and really gave the audience the idea of what the actual danger was, was when they try to go into the billiard club, um, the restaurant and he doesn't get it because California was different. And he had, and the military had integrated earlier. And while there was still heavy racism and inequality in the military, it was a little quieter because it had to be. Um, but you know, so he had grown up around a diverse background in California was different. Um, and so it's one of those things that like in his character just didn't even understand um, at all, which, you know, it's... Yeah. I, I was glad they showed that. Um, I was really, really, really glad they showed yeah. that. Yeah. He, he was definitely oppressed, too, <laughs> during oh, that Oh, yeah, absolutely. That you know, calling, they just kept calling him a hippie, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, th- and things. But, you know, you know, I just... 
I just felt that I wish they expounded his character more. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I, I still believe he was definitely a likable character too. Oh yeah, for a lot of people, uh, I think the Kip pa- Kip Pardue, mm-hmm. um, he played that role very well. So good, so good. Yes. Kip, Kip Pardue, who does not have an Instagram, I went to stalk him to see how well he aged. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because I am awful. Well, what was really nice is again we I touched on it a little bit. Everybody in the movie is likable who's supposed to be redemptive. And the only people that aren't even really likable are the girlfriend and the best friend, which they're (laughs) and and a lot of the parents there. And they're not supposed to be likable. Yeah, and even with the girlfriend, there was a little redemption arc at the end, even though it seemed forced. It did seem like that way. But sometimes Mm -hmm. in reality, people will come around to it. They're not perfect, but they'll come around to it. And, and, I, yeah. and that's how I felt with that scene. Yeah. You know? Everybody needs to, everybody has to start somewhere, but it's whether you kind of keep going. Um, well, and I think, I think that this actually says a lot that while it didn't get nominated for Oscars, it didn't get nominated for the Golden Globes. It won the Outstanding Motion Picture of the Year for the NAACP Image Awards. And yes. Denzel Washington also won for Outstanding Actor in a Motion Picture, which I tend to always agree with and have a, a high level of respect for the NAACP. Um, and, and so it... And they had... They were the most nominated for this movie... Um, and Kip Perdue was nominated for the Las Vegas Film Critics for Male Newcomer. Um, oh. Hayden Penetier got nominated for that award as well for Youth on Film. She got nominated for the Young Artist Awards. Um, this was nominate, uh, nominated for film, uh, in, film Drama for Teen Choice Awards, the Angel mm-hmm. Awards, BET Awards, the BMI Awards. Um, I think we, we, we touched on it a little. The score... And the soundtrack for this are fantastic. Yeah, um, sure. it, like it sounds like a Brockheimer film. Like it sounds exactly like a Jerry Brockheimer film when you're listening to the um, orchestrations from the scenes. And even I, le- I always let the, I always let the credits play out because I love underscoring. And Brockheimer has a very large, big sound to his movies. Um, and that paired with a lot of this doo-wop, a lot of the mm-hmm. the um, oh, early R and B. The soundtrack, the soundtrack yeah. is so yeah, good. It. Um, it did really well. It was released in um, two thousand, along with the movie from Walt Disney Records. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Trevor Rabin orchestrated and wrote the score for the film. Um, and the Titan Spirit, which is the. Uh, which is uh, oh god I'm reading as I'm talking um, was used in several Olympics and it's like they're mm-hmm, underscoring mm-hmm. for it yeah it was used in Salt Lake Athens Torino Beijing Vancouver London and Rio um, as well as the NBA in 2002 2003 2004 <laughs> uh, as well as the World Series for the Yankees in 2009 it has now become like uh, that like peak sports film sports iconic song and so i think it's one of those things that like all together all of the parts of this really make a really great movie that i find really rewatchable and like now because of this i think i'm gonna watch this movie often um because i found myself smiling i found myself laughing um 
but I also felt like there are just moments that are just so sad and moving along with everything else. And so I think I think they've just built a really beautiful movie that holds up 20 years later. Oh, yeah. No, it, it definitely still holds up. I, I do agree yeah. with that. And, and, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why I really enjoy this film was when I when we first went out to watch it, you know, I was with um, my brother uh, and my father. Uh, mm-hmm. watching this film and uh, just to give you just a little backstory, we were having an argument of what movie to watch me and my brother he wanted to see Remember the Titans and I wanted to see a stupid uh, Jackie Chan movie that was coming back to theaters you know oh. and stuff like that and, and I knew that my dad would like either or alright mm-hmm. so it was just between me and him and finally I just relented and I was like alright let's watch Remember the Titans alright uh, you know and my dad he actually played high school football he actually played linebacker um, uh, when he was in high school, and and so we and so when we went to watch the movie, I remember one of the famous scenes. You know when they were yelling at each other, strong side, left side, strong side. Mm-hmm. My dad, he he kind of related to that, you know. Mm-hmm. And the the biggest thing that I think what made my dad really love this movie was um, when they were coming in dancing. <laughs> into the field yeah and then uh-huh. they start saying that that chant everywhere we go mm-hmm. and we used to hate my dad used to do that chant and we used to hate on him for that we're like oh here you go again you know with that and then you see them remember the titans and he immediately looked at us he's like see it was cool you know and, and so it was a big bonding experience for me and my family for sure the- that's amazing. And, and, and that's why, it, it, in my heart, that, that movie definitely holds a special place. But it, regardless, it, it's you rewatch it, and it's still a very, very special movie mm-hmm. um, with that. There's so many themes that you could embark on uh, with this mm-hmm. film. And, man, ever since then, I, my respect to Denzel Washington as an actor has definitely grown. Mm-hmm. This was before he got the Oscar for Training Day, too. Yep. And... and and things, but any movie with Denzel, I'm in. That's oh, for me sure. too. <laughs> I I also think now, as someone who does not have kids, uh, but I expect, you know, there are still hard conversations to have, and I think this is one of them, because children are not implicitly biased. They they're not born with hate. They're not born no. with an understanding that people are different um, mm-hmm. until adults tell them that someone else is different or not mm-hmm. equal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think this is actually a really good movie to still show. I, I think more for white parents specifically, I think this is a good movie to show and start having a conversation because it's better to start having that conversation with your kids before they get into school or before they get into middle and high school where like kids just start getting mean um, yeah. and yeah. start because I think the earlier you start having a conversation about that people people are going you're people are going to tell you that you're different, other people are different, and that's bad. It's not bad. We're all different for reasons, and we have to embrace and love each other's yes. differences. We have to tolerate yeah, at the very least, and, yeah, and just understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I keep saying this too: is just understand and educate where everybody's coming from. And I, I'm personally glad that you know I grew up in many different diverse environments mm-hmm. where. And even even in, in my adult life, I grew up in many different environments, learning about mm-hmm. different cultures, learning about how people act, why they act a certain way and stuff like that. You know, and, and, you know, I lived in Hawaii for one year working on an internship. And man, that culture, they not, they not only do they welcome you with open arms, mm-hmm. but they love to teach you about their culture. 
They do. I love that. And, and, and yeah, my utmost respect to Hawaii uh, in that, I mean, man, I, I, I need to go back there for sure. Uh, it was definitely uh, one of the best years of my life uh, being over there in Honolulu. And, and yeah, it's, uh, bottom line is all about that. Um, you know, and now I know we're getting to the, the emotional side of everything and things. But one thing I do want to speak about, too, is um, and one thing, <laughs> if you love Remember the Titans, don't do this because I did. And it really <laughs> sinks my heart a little bit is a lot of the things that happened in the movie were not true. <laughs> right. Uh, with a lot of things. And especially one of the things that was interesting to me, the coach, Herman Boone, actually got fired for maybe what he, what they call physical abuse, but I think it's because he probably was being too hard on the athletes, mm-hmm. which you do mm-hmm. get a glimpse of that um, in that film. Oh, yeah. And, and things. And, um, you know, we, we briefly talked about Donald Faison's character, Petey, mm-hmm. um, you know, how he hates being, you know, belittled by Coach, Coach Boone. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, Coach Yost uh, brought him in under his wing, and then they had that little disagreement mm-hmm. saying, Hey, all his, how is he going to be, you know, how is he going to grow up when people always mm-hmm. cater to him instead of being a fighter, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and nowadays as a coach, you know, you have to follow that thin line of being tough on them mm-hmm. and not. Mm-hmm. And that's like a big, big debate, you know, even today. And, yeah. and, and so when is it the time to cross that line and when isn't that time, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so... You know, I, I tend to side with Coach Boone a little bit because you do have to be tough. You have to prepare them for the real world. I always, and that's how I was raised. You know, mm-hmm. with that, I guess you could call it tough love, mm-hmm. and and things. But how much do you cater or baby them as well? Right. You know, and, and I don't know. I don't know what you think about that. But that's one thing that I found interesting about that film too. That little debate uh, with that character as well i i you know for me i didn't really play sports after peewee league because i love them but i was not super coordinated but i did do marching man and i did drum corps competitively and winter guard on the international level and so like we got trained really hard like really really hard and so for me it was a little reminiscent it is a little uh it is a little traumatic to kind of look back i have a little bit uh, (laughs) of flashbacks but like while you also look back and go, oh, God, they were probably being a little abusive or gaslighting. But I have a really crazy work ethic, especially now that I work in theater, where we have weird schedules and working on a show can be weird. A lot of my work ethic came from those moments. And so while they were massively abusive and those kids could have cracked, I'm sure he actually had kids crack under that pressure. Oh, yeah. And this was before... Anybody talked about mental health and wellness, especially for African-American men, especially for men, period. This was Mm -hmm. this was a time where women went to see psychotherapists and psychoanalysts because they were bored housewives, not because they actually (laughs) wanted to treat people uh, with with issues. But, you know, I will agree. And, you know, that's again, this is revisionist history, which is what Disney does the best slash. This is their their thing. You know, we talked about Disney's Disney has a. um formula a series of tropes and so revisionist history is one and um 
you know, I'm sure they couldn't put everything in because it wouldn't be good for a movie, like for how we do storytelling in film. Um, mm. But yeah, it, it is a bummer that they didn't. I'm not surprised also because I'm sure he was held as an African-American man. He was held to different standards than a white coach would have been held to, mm-hmm. which is interesting that they do portray. Well, other than the super shitty racist white assistant coach um, that, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, they, they show the white coach is a little more laid back, go with the flow and, and the black coach is a little more harder, but it's also because he in his field and in his life has probably had to fight for respect much harder than any of the mm-hmm. white men ever had oh, to. Yeah. And absolutely. so like for me, I, I think it's like just, just finishing graduate school and teaching, you know, there's a fine line between how hard you have to be on your expectation because a lot of students have never had a lot expected from them. And so they're Mm -hmm. going to take advantage of things, not because they're not there, but something that I was impressed with is they made the men in this so empathetic. And I think that is so important is to show the empathy. Um, He knew when to stop. Um, though the abuse was a little hard and heavy in the beginning, but it's also what I expect from a sports film. Like, you know, it's, you know, the, the mighty ducks similar, you know, it's one of those things where miracle and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and while I agree with you that I, I wish some of these movies could be told a little more like real life, but again, it's like Roger Ebert said, we don't go to the movies for real life. Um, you know, we make docudramas for a reason. Um, we want to see the Ryan Murphy version of things. Not really. I fucking hate Ryan Murphy. Um, but we want to (laughs) see other people's versions of things, I guess, more than just a thing. But I, I'm a big true crime person. So I kind of actually love hearing what actually happened and how people fucked up and how people were just human and basic during things. And so, you know, it's, it's that double edged sword. Um, and you have more of an inside view on this being an, uh, an athletic coach and, and things that's hard because kids are naturally, as, as kids, you naturally want to be lazy because even though you think your parents work you hard, they don't actually work you that hard. Um, and so you've got to, you've got to build a work ethic and you have to learn, how to do that kind of thing. So exactly. But you know, as a teacher as well, you know, sometimes these kids yeah. are getting it way too easy nowadays. And I'm thinking oh, yeah. to myself, you know, I had spats with principals, you know, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, holding them to a greater responsibility. You know, I'll give you one quick example, you know, like no late work policy and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, are we really teaching these kids about life or we're just catering to them, to their needs yep. because that's how it is. And that. You know, where is that thin line, you know? Right. And, and, and that's something I'm still struggling with today, you know, with that thing. Yep. Hey, being an educator is hard, right? It's, I think it's, <laughs> it's so hard. I've always known I wanted to teach, but the last three years in graduate school, like actually getting to teach and then this year getting to teach a real course, um, mm-hmm. it's – it was it was so hard, especially because uh, I went to school with them as well. There is that line of wh- when am I your peer? And because when you're working in theater together, when you're on a production team, you are suddenly all on equal. And so you're all putting a show together. You're all building a show together. But mm-hmm. then we'll be sitting in a classroom and sometimes they'd be in a class with me. And then we would turn around and I would be teaching them in another class. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it's one of those things of. We have to find that line, especially because so many high schools uh, that a lot of kids come from 
public schools are just about passing standardized tests and making yes. sure they can pass the SAT. And <sighs> that's not, they're not learning that idea of like how to think, um, constructively and yeah. you can't take constructive criticism, but also the difference between common sense and book sense and where, where do you deviate from what the book says to what your real life experience says? And it's, it's hard. And I think it's something that we are always learning and growing, especially as educators, as artists, as content creators. Um, and the moment that we stop learning things is the moment that we start dying as a human being. Like yes. I just, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, that, that was another theme I got from that film and, but other than that, overall, you know, with all the different characters, all the different themes, all the different issues that you have to deal with, most importantly about race relations and, and things of that nature, bottom line, that film did a great job. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and really uh, showing you how things were. And the last thing is how sports can actually bring people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was thinking in history, too, uh, 9-11, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that biggest tragedy that ever happened, you know, in, in, in our country, and yet sports really helped in healing mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. In, in that regard, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sports do play a big role, and I'm happy that Disney d- does a lot of sports movies. Another one of my favorite sports movies, uh, which I'd be more than happy to talk about in the future, <laughs> is Cool Runnings as well. <laughs> I love Cool Runnings. So, oh, <laughs> yes. it's, such a, it's so good. Heavily yes. dramatized, but it's also I love John Candy because there was like yes. no funny fat guys to look up to when I was a kid, and I loved. <laughs> fuck, yes. I love John Candy. I miss him so much. Exactly. Um, oh, I will. I will have you back on, and we will do core runnings. I, All right. Uh, I'll be more to. than happy to. We have to. <laughs> um, no, but I think. Well, and you talk about Disney and sports, but like, so we are we are recording this in. What month? May. It's almost June. Memorial we've Day. been in quarantine for oh, it's Memorial Day. Yes. Um, and we've been in quarantine, most of us, for about 70 days, more or oh, less. I miss and um, <laughs> well, it was announced this week that the NBA and Major League Soccer will be playing both of their seasons at the ESPN Wide World yes, of Sports I heard at about that. Walt Disney World. And yes. they will be doing it without. Um, uh, viewers, there won't be cheerleaders, but they're going to play the game and they're going to broadcast them. And the athletes will be living on property and they will be distancing and things. And um, which I hope in that. So that starts in July, which means I hope we're going to reopen soon. Oh God, I miss it so much. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that I think people can laugh at sports all they want, but like you can be so angry because someone loves the sports team that you hate but like it is an equalizer it brings us together and it gives us it gives us something to do it's the same thing i experience when i go see a live game that i do when i see live theater we Mm -hmm. all are responding together we're all having an emotional experience and it's really important and so you might be scoffing out there at sports but like i i love football i love baseball i love hockey i'm technically not allowed back at madison square garden um uh, because <laughs> really? of some rangers games uh yeah it's that isn't those are not stories for the podcast um, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um but uh yeah, yeah it's one of those things that they bring people together in a way because sports are something that no matter your class your race your background i mean it's like 
even people around the world love like baseball is blown up around the world, which is like the mm-hmm. most American pastime ever. And whether you want to think about it or not, sports is an equalizer. Sports brings people together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I will say that a lot of sports fans are shitty and racist. Let's, let's, let's solve yeah. that. Let's work on that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you know, it's, it, it is, it is sports are fun. Sports are important. And, and I think sports, make up a huge part of what it makes America interesting. And, and we have a really inter- in, in interesting entertainment industry because sports to me are part of the entertainment industry. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It, it, it definitely is. Um, man, I love it because you, you live for those moments, you know? Yeah. And, and just oh, yeah. like in movies, you live for those moments and things. And because of freaking coronavirus, man, we're, we're missing out on a lot of these things. And, Man, I just hope that things once things get get back together, we could rely on not only sports but theater, mm-hmm. movies, whatever, mm-hmm. that we could all come together and enjoy because that's what really all, is all about community, and yeah. that's why remember the Titans. That's what it does, community. So, and and also wash hands, social distance, yes. wear masks, be respectful of each other. It's not infringing on your personal liberties. It's just if we want to get this over, just wash your fucking hands, wear a mask, please. Just stay away from me. Don't cough on me in the grocery store. <laughs> um, well, Hans, it has been amazing having you on the show. Any last oh, thoughts about the, the movie before we wrap up? Ah oh, man, I said everything I had to say, man. Thanks Great. for having me. So, I love it. Okay, sure. so. Um, so your show is here on the Certain Point of View Network. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about, about your show? And sure. I know you all just launched some social media. So why don't you talk about the show a little bit and then tell the audience where they can find you in the interweb space? Sure, sure. For sure. Interwebs. I love it. Um, um, yeah, no, um, uh, uh, our, our podcast show uh, is part of the Certain POV Network along with uh, – with this show, Dole Works and Dreams, which I, I love listening to that show. I have to say so myself. Um, it definitely brings me back a lot <laughs> listening to that. But, um, yeah, our show is called The Real Movie Critic versus The Cine Guy. Um, we're, the, we're the show that are, is very up to date when it comes to the movie news and also the trailers and also our reviews. Uh, we're very, very up to date. We, we give you the, the latest that we can. Um, with with the films, I know a lot of people rely on us to see if the movie's actually good or not, and uh, so they could go out and watch it themselves, um, and things. So that, that's pretty much what we're ha- what we're doing with me and my co-host, um, the Senate guy Stephen Angulo, and we also add a little fun to it too. Now that because we we actually recently changed the format, we used to be called mm-hmm. Real Movie News and Reviews. Now we change it to this one because we want to add a little more fun aspect as well, even yeah. though. Uh, we're versing against each other, but it's all with love and respect, uh, you know, and, and things and, you know, with the difference of opinions that we may have uh, and things. But we always try to do a fun way. Like recently we try to recast, not recast, but um, try to uh, cast people for the Hercules uh, re- a live action remake. You know, mm-hmm. we had a lot of fun with that and had it. And we also asked the fans to, hey, vote, vote for us. Which one do you think is better? You know, and, and and for that one, I know I won that one for that argument. But uh, but yeah, we, we we try to make it fun. I think uh, to relate it to sports, we're kind of like part of the interruption on ESPN. We're kind of mm-hmm, like that in mm-hmm. a way. Uh, I guess that's the best way to put it, uh, how our show is. But yeah, no, um, uh, come in and, and I hope you all enjoy the show. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast as well. Who knows? You may get a, a prize. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. You never know. Um, 
But as far as uh, for me, you can find me on social media other than certain POV. Um, you could find me on Instagram and Twitter at realcritic34. Um, I, I'm also on Facebook as well. Uh, I have a page on Facebook for the Real Movie Critic, which is um, at Real Movie Critic uh, on Facebook. And I also have a blog too, which I write, which is realmoviecritic.com. That's where you can Great. find me. Awesome. Well, Hans, thanks again for being in the show. Uh, I I can't wait for us to have you back again. And I can't wait to be hanging out with you guys over on your show. Hopefully soon. Yes, yes. We'll talk about that for sure. Yeah, well, and you know what's funny? I actually, Rachel Quirky Shank and I were talking about doing some uh, inter show trivia battles. And Ooh. so I think maybe it'll, we'll have to do uh, versus versus Dole Whip and Dreams and do Ooh. some hardcore Disney trivia. Um, uh, we, you know, we might have to throw Let's Rewatch in there because Ash and yes. Pat are huge Disney Parks fans. And so I'm thinking maybe it's I am the too. three. I am too. Uh, and uh, was, listen, then we all might have to throw down. Uh, I will have to win because obviously I have to keep I have to keep the Disney crown at the network. But uh, oh, yeah, no, yeah sure. I think I think it'd be really fun. So uh, if everyone subscribes to our social media, it will be uh, available to watch for everybody if we can get th- get these things together. So uh, I hope to uh, have some more fun things like that soon. Yeah, that sounds like fun, man. <laughs> Did you know Rob Thomas has been writing since the mid nineties? The Matchbox 20 guy? No, the guy behind Veronica Mars. Oh, and iZombie. And Cupid, Party Down, the Cupid Reboot. I haven't seen those. Me neither, but we should watch them and then talk about them on our podcast. Yes, we could call it the Rob Thomas. No, not that one. Robcast. Every other Tuesday with Alex and MJ. Find us at notthatrobcast.libsyn.com or wherever you download podcasts. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Dole Up and Dreams podcast. Pride Summer is still happening on our online store, so check it out and help us to make a big donation at the end of the summer. A big thank you to certain POV Media for having us on your network and the support of all the amazing creative people there. As always, you can find us across all social media on Facebook at Dole Up and Dreams Podcast, on Instagram at Dole Up and Dreams, on Twitter at Dole Up Podcast, and even on TikTok at Maddie Lime. I want to thank all of our amazing patrons over at Patreon. We have some huge upcoming projects, and the Dole Up and Dreams family is growing. We'll soon be offering five new podcasts in the coming year. Check out our Patreon and subscribe for only $2 or more a month, where you will have exclusive new content early, Patreon-only bonus episodes, as well as discount codes and free merch exclusive to our Patreons. A huge thank you to David White, our audio editor, Angela Gwynn, our research assistant, and Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast for the music in today's episode. Now until next time, may your days be filled with dull whip and dreams. CPOV. CertainPOV.com.